Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every Every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over a hundred social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S. excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to Monday's edition of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. Craig Fowler has stupidly allowed me, Craig Anderson, to be the host of tonight's podcast um, and I will be speaking to, in succession, Joel Sked, Graham Thulis and Gary Cocker about the weekend's action. I'll cover two games with each of the guys. It's not been the most fascinating of uh, weekends of football, so bear with me um, and for those of you who are listening all the way through to the end, good luck. I suspect you'll need it. So first of all, we are going to welcome on Joel Sked. It's nice to be on a podcast with you again, Joel. We don't we don't get to do this very often. No, it's been a while. I'm not even sure we're on one during the lockdown either. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a nice change because, of course, you were a uh, Edinburgh. I was going to say Edinburgh loyal, but <laughs> maybe not use those those, those terms. But uh, you were, uh, of course, um, Edinburgh based for your first couple of years. I do. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. So we we used to be, it used to be pretty much every single podcast that was uh, yeah. Uh, there weren't so many of us back then, but but now it's uh, yeah, it's all changed. Um, and Joel, we we're going to talk about uh, two games uh, as all of us are going to. Um, and so it's going to be St Mirren versus Ross County, and then Rangers v Kilmarnock uh, after that. So we will start with the action in Paisley. So just just first of all, what what did you make of the game in general? I thought it was. I thought it was actually quite a uh, quite a good game. I don't know what. So just in general, Scottish Premiership's got a, a bit of stick, and especially in the live games. Live games have been really poor. But I don't know if the uh, the games I've been watching on Y Scout. 
are being made better because every time the ball goes out for a throw-in or a goal kick, I'll just hit times three, so it speeds up. So it's almost like the the intensity of the game is a lot quicker, and I don't know that's maybe it makes it a lot more interesting. But with uh, so I did the same with Frost County St Mirren on uh, the day was it Sunday morning, and I enjoyed it. There were there were good spells for both sides. However, I was more impressed with Ross County overall, and I thought they were thoroughly deserving of their of their draw. But equally, I think both could both teams could uh, could have won it. Yeah, it looked it looked like an, an entertaining game, um, which I, I actually think um, remembering back a long time ago, these two teams have had some pretty entertaining encounters. I'm sure there was a five four game that was on the telly once. Um, I'm sure I'm not making that up. Stephen Thompson scored an absolute belter of a goal. It does seem to be one of those fixtures that brings uh, brings these things together. Why would St Mirren v Ross County be on the telly though? I'm now doubting myself, but I'm pretty sure it was. Um, That's uh, I'm just I'm just frantically googling. Uh, yeah, yeah, so St Mirren five, Ross County four. Not sure if it was on the TV, but it was back in 2012. Oh, this was. I don't think it was on the TV, but because it, um, it's the game. If I'm thinking right, it's a game that Stephen Thompson scored an overhead kick, yeah. and I remember being on the podcast after the, the podcast after this, and kind of not criticising overhead kick because it, it was a good goal, but it wasn't the most. I don't think it was the most aesthetically pleasing overhead kick because he kind of just fell into it. But uh, talk, talk, well, that's a really nice link to some acrobatics uh, that, that someone was doing on Saturday at Paisley, which was Richard Tate. So my, my question about Richard Tate more generally, obviously. A really nice goal line clearance, however, I'm going to be critical of that as well. It wasn't going in. Do you I not don't think? think it, I don't think it was going in. Okay, I I thought it was. I thought it was one of those. It was, it was one of those. It was hard to tell the trajectory of the ball. It was the way it was spinning. But I thought it might have uh, clipped the inside of the posting and, and 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 dropped in. Maybe this is where I think. So so they use Hawkeye in tennis, right? And yeah. um, to to get see where the ball is in. And they've got the thing in cricket as well, where they they decide on LBWs by determining after the ball hit the the, the pad of the batsman, yeah, yeah. where's it going to go? I've said this for a long time. We need to introduce this in football to see whether shots that were saved or blocked were going in. So get the trajectory from it leaves the foot to where it hits the player and predict it forwards and tell us as it going in. That would be such a, a lovely uh, technology introduction to the Scottish football where it's, it's not VAR. It doesn't really have any bearing on the actual game itself. It just it just kind of just helps uh, kind of this, the stats aspect of it. But, but more generally on Richard Tate, I think he's made a really impressive start. Uh, Samirin, do you think Muller will have made a mistake in letting him? Yeah, be? absolutely. Absolutely. It's, I, I questioned it. I thought it was a really, really good signing for Samirin. I, I questioned it during the summer and you know, didn't have a debate. It was just, I was just querying with Graham and Graham thought, it, thought he'd struggle holding his place at Mullerwell, that he was uh, kind of... Not, not regressing, but it maybe wasn't at the the high point he previously was. But you look at Motherwell now, and the fact that they started the season with Liam Grimshaw right back, it was uh, pardon the pun, really, really grim. And that's these is such as his performances, and the left back and old Jake Carroll, Jake Carroll still injured. They brought in the uh, McGinley. He looked okay against Ross County, but Richard Tate is, I think, just such a a solid. 
premiership performer where he's one of those uh, players you just you kind of just hang your hat on and you know more often than not he's going to give you a six well that's a bit harsh a seven out of ten performance and since he's gone to since he's gone to St Mirren I, th- I think he's been excellent he's been He's had a couple of moments where wingers have tested him. I think Michael Gardine, I'm going to come on to speak to him, speak about him a bit, a bit later on. Michael Gardine tested him against uh, on, on Saturday. Justin Johnson, when he came off the bench against Ackes, gave him uh, a wee bit of a test. But like after 10 minutes, he just figured him out. And then he uh, had uh, Johnson in his back pocket. But overall, him and Shaughnessy, again, who someone will come on to talk about, have been such shrewd signings for first admitting. And it's really just added to the that solidity that Jim Goodwin has has built there, which has only kind of which has only intensified the issues they have in attack. Yes. So I think that's what you're saying. You, you, those two and, and Marcus Fraser, you've brought in three really experienced top flight defenders. You know, also add in Jack Anik as well. Yeah. He's been a big surprise to me. I've, I've, uh, you've obviously seen the fact that Fladke got signed by Salford City. I mean, what a shit move from him because I think he's much, much better than a Diddy team like that. But Jack Anik, I was unsure of him just because we've not really seen him at Rangers and the fact he didn't get used much. I thought, oh, he's just going to be uh, kind of just average goalkeeper. But in the five games, he's, he's really, really impressed me with just with his all-round reliability. He holds the ball really well. Uh, I think he's really good at uh, crossing. His shot-stopping shot stopping is largely excellent as well. Yeah, so so I think that's right. I think at the back, they, they do look even... They weren't that bad defensively. Samirin have never really went through a spell where they've been terrible defensively. They're always just quite a, a stodgy team historically. But but you've you've pointed out already it's the same issues at the other end. They're they're barely scoring more than one goal a game, um, and and that puts so much pressure on that defence to keep yeah. a clean sheet. What do you think yeah. they need to do? I mean, the, does the addition of now I've forgotten his name. Um, the the new guy from English non-league. Oh, he's, yeah, he's, he's, I've I've uh, blanked on his name as I, well. I was like, um, I better write that down, and then did I write it down? No, I didn't. I was like, no, I remember that. Um, it's uh, yeah, Chris, uh, Christian Dennis. Dennis, I kept wanting, I kept wanting to say Dixon, but Dennis, yeah, Christian yeah. Dennis. Do we I think, think he's going to make a difference? So I read a, it was a good piece from um, Two Point One where they looked at St Mirren's issues, and I'd I'd kind of glanced at because he sent it in an email, so I kind of glanced at. And then when I was watching the St. Mirren uh, the game at the weekend, I kind of uh, was like, right, I'm going to go back and read that in depth. And I looked at the, the, the goal-scoring issues with, with John Obika. I think he is going to be reliable for double figures this season. Yeah. I sometimes think his plays a bit erratic, but he is certainly in the bottom six, a very, very good striker to have. Around it, they just don't have goals. So question the lineup uh, at the weekend where you've got Nathan Sherrin and... Sam Foley as your two centre midfielders, that's, that's a bit overkill for me, even for a team like St Mirren with where Jim Goodwin wants to be hard to beat. If Cammy McPherson, I don't know if he's quite hit the level he did in the second half of last season, but I still think he's been a, a, a very good uh, player this season. He was left on the bench, so they just didn't have that, didn't have that drive in midfield. A lot of it was down to, so largely they played direct to Mareš and Obika. Now the problem... Marais, he just he just can't score. I think he scored twice last season. I think he's hit eleven shots this season, and he's just not looked like scoring. The thing is, though, he's had. I went back and looked at his at, at all his chances this season. He genuinely could have had a goal in four of the five matches this season. And sorry, 
three off the four because he didn't have a chance against Rangers but he generally could have had a goal um, against Ross County he could have had a goal against Hamilton he could have had a goal against Livingston he's had really good chances and he passes them up he's just not a very good finisher his decision making is really poor when he gets around the box he'll take on stupid shots we just know that's going to be blocked really frustrates me when people strikers especially try and dig out a shot when you just when they've got ma- like a man right in front of them it's really really infuriating so I can imagine how infuriating it is for St. Mirren fans when they see Moraes go through and go and he just doesn't have the I just don't think he has the quality to, to be a regular goal scorer so the 2.1 they looked at it and Christian Dennis he I think is a pretty good goal scorer I don't think he's banged in barrel loads over his over his career he's a bit more experienced but he does seem like the type who will uh, be more trustworthy in front of goal than Marais so that is the, I think that should help alleviate the um, alleviate the responsibility and the pressure on Abika to score the goals I still think I'd like to see a bit more creativity or a bit more invention from the midfield as well Again, Sheridan and Sheridan and Foley. I think you can play those two if you've got a, a number 10 who you just want to dictate play and just give a free roll to. But it's just like I said, overkill. Is that what someone like Kyle McAllister should be for them? Yeah, I think so. Again, he had flashes against Ross County. He played a, a, a key part in the... The opening goal, it was him coming off the the, the the wing and find himself between the lines and driving him. I, I do like I do like McAllister. I think he has a, a lot to add, a lot to give them. Again, would I trust him over the season to be that player? I'm not sure, but I certainly would uh, would like to see him given uh, a run of games where he's if he is a more central figure or uh, like he has, he's played on the played in the wide, uh, the wide areas, but it's one of those where they're just, in the final third, there's just too much inconsistency. There's, sorry, there's too much inconsistency for St. Mirren to, I was going to say for St. Mirren to really have high hopes of this top six, but look at other teams around well, the Premiership. Uh, they've, they've, they're definitely in there at the moment. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if I was to rank, based on what we've seen in the five games so far, I would probably put them in the top six in terms of what we've yeah. seen from them, which is why they are in the top six in the table, funnily enough. Um but, but yeah, it's hard to tell because there's been obviously such a variability in who teams have been playing and, and all of that. So it's, yeah, but I think you're right. I think they, they need, it's always, I think it's been a problem for submitting a lot of their time that they've been in the top flight when I've, when I've been watching football. It's been that they've just lacked a wee bit of quality. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they can remedy that. Uh, we'll move on. Well, we'll move on to Ross County via the, via the red card decision. So, what well, I mean, I assume you agree with me that, that it very clearly is a red card. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's mental. I think uh, that might have been you on the, 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 the terrace chat, just like basically saying people really question it, like they walk among us. And you think about it, it's like there's people who deny that the earth is round. So there, of course there's going, to be, there's going to be people that are going to debate this, send it off. But it was, it was so clear cut and something that really again infuriates me is people using uh, still images to try and back up uh, back up points especially within uh, tackles where it's moving quickly and I mean you can you can slow down anything or zoom in on anything and make it worse than than it seems and that was that was the case it doesn't matter if you win the ball 
and then it didn't really matter how like Stuart's likely show. It wasn't bad at all. It was just it was just it was just a bad challenge. Yeah, well, the picture has Stuart with his studs up, but when you see it from behind on the video. He studs are nowhere near the the St. Mirren player. Uh, yeah, the St. Mirren player. They're just mm. out there. It, it somewhat reminded me of the tackle. It wasn't as, as full on, but the one that Callum Butcher got sent off for against St. Mirren last season, where he just followed right through on um, on someone that was in the cup game. Yeah. And, and Butcher hit the Saints player like uh, straight on, whereas Shogunese caught him kind of halfway up his leg, like from the side on. But it was such a obvious red card. You could actually see, because obviously the referee, no idea what was going on in his head, allows it to play on a little bit. Um, and you could almost see Shognessy kind of getting up and kind of walking away and looking a bit sheepish, like, how's he not giving a foul here? <laughs> and then, uh, so and then uh, that's what I want. I wanted to ask you about, because I was really looking forward to seeing this incident uh, having seen Graham McPherson, I think it was on, on Twitter, and he was there, and he basically said, Willie Collum uh, had the fourth official had uh, got him set off. So, what do you think happened? Because play, play carried on, then it got bra- brought back. What, what do you think uh, kind of materialised there? Um, so, it's funny, from reading, reading it um, on, the, on Pie and Baldwin and a couple of St. Mirren fans on Twitter, really cool. play went on for about 20 seconds. First of all, no, it didn't. <laughs> it was on for about two seconds because uh, it goes, the ball goes to the Samaritan, I think the Samaritan left back, it gets pinged forward across the park and then the referee stops the game because Stuart's down injured. Clearly, first of all, the referee obviously hasn't seen it from a good angle because if he'd seen it from a good angle, he would have sent them off. So that, that's clear. At that point, my feeling, there's the description of what actually happens, which I think is that the referee then goes over sees probably stud marks halfway up um, Stuart's leg and then starts to ask the question, did I miss something here? And so he perhaps asks these other officials, um, is there something I've not seen? And then maybe Willie Collum says, yeah, look, he caught him halfway up. Did you not see it? I thought it was a red card. And that's completely normal. You're, yeah. you're asking for the, 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 the four of them go out as a team. And the referee's decision is final. So if Willie Collum says, I think it's a red card, and the, the referee says, I don't think it's a red card, the referee goes with his own gut and doesn't give it. But if the referee obviously hasn't seen enough of it, which, again, he must not have done. I think it was Mike Roncon was the ref. I think it's his first ever top flight game. So so quite an introduction to the tournament. <laughs> yeah. um, it doesn't look like... So it's important, I guess, all four of the officials are mic top. But if, they, if one of the assistants had thought it was a red card, they would have flagged. Mm. We didn't see flagging, which can only suggest that it has to have come from the fourth official. But disappointingly, in the highlights, certainly the ones that I watched and I've not really seen anything, there didn't seem to be you know, any showing of what actually happened between the officials. Yeah. Um, so I don't think, unless I'm mistaken, I don't think the referee went over and spoke to Colin. Um, I, I, I watched it. Uh, it'll, it'll take me too long to uh, to get up on why. Why so? He definitely goes across and speaks to. He definitely goes across the touchline and speaks to someone. But I can't remember if it was column or his assistant. Uh, so that, the one of the linesmen. Because yeah, that that's the interesting thing for me, and it's something that always annoys me about. And it, I mean, it's probably just because I'm a kind of geek for the procedural aspect of these things. It annoys me on highlight packages all the time that they don't show. They're going to talk about this decision and how it works, but they don't show in the highlights package the exact process that was followed in the decision-making. Because I think that would help you to work out how this all happened. But mm-hmm. 
it's very clear that the um, tracking also because I've got the sports scene one open just now because I was watching it before we came on in case there's something about it. But no, they just throw them crowding around the players as well. But it, it's it's and sometimes it doesn't matter. I I don't understand how the referee doesn't see it unless he's just behind it and misses the. I guess he isn't behind it and he misses the point of contact. But it's just it's just like. It's one of those that, like, you could imagine on a video, like you can imagine, like a um, worst fouls in football DVD, and someone showing you that one because it is that like high and late and wild. Yeah, so I want to come back to the the fourth of uh, so well they call him. Mainly, mainly, maybe because it was well they call him that it was there was more made of it, but I what. When I see people complain about the, like the, the fourth official, I always remember a game at St. Mirren, actually, and the fourth official got involved, and I think it was maybe Michael Stewart who got sent off. So something happened off the ball. He spotted it, made the, uh, the, made the referee aware, and then in, uh, the player ended up getting sent off. It was back at Love Street. I, I think it was Michael Stewart. It might be someone else. And I remember folk going absolutely mental, as you expect from Hearts fans, that the fourth officials got involved and it wasn't the referee who made this decision. But like you, like you go back to what you said, they go out as a team. So I would rather the fourth official got involved and was, wasn't like kind of passive at all. Yeah, it's like it'll be the same people who like say, oh, I don't call them assistant referees. They don't even help the referee. I call them linesmen. You still hear people say yeah. that. Um, it'll be the same folk that then don't want the, the fourth official to get involved. They have to all make decisions. And, and that's, there's a big focus on that, not just in Scotland, everywhere now, that all the officials, and that includes, uh, sadly, in, in many other competitions, the VER officials as well, or the additional officials behind the goals, if anyone still uses them. Have to, all of them collectively are responsible for getting the decision right. The referee's in charge, so if, as I said, fundamentally what he says is important, but he trusts his colleagues. So if one of his colleagues says that was definitely a red card, he's probably going to go with them unless he's really strongly sure himself that it wasn't. And it's, yeah, with the fourth, it's not as if the, the fourth official like call him, just ran onto the pitch and made the decision. Yeah, no, I said he didn't. He didn't like, grab the red card out of the referee's hand, and <laughs> it, it, it often reminds me of. Um, remember the uh, Dougie McDonald stuff with Celtic and Dundee United years ago that ultimately yes. led to um, the strike and all that kind of fallout. And yeah, the officials like incorrectly, like they they kind of concocted a story to kind of explain what had happened, but all that furore back then was about a correct decision because the decision that was I can't remember what the decision was but the decision that was made that day was a correct decision just like on Saturday it's a correct decision and so how they got to the correct decision doesn't matter so much as the fact that they did mm-hmm. um, you'd much rather that than them getting one wrong it, it reminded me of um, some Mirren fans funnily enough again from two years ago now being absolutely raging when Kelly scored a goal uh, at this at the same end of the park, like obviously 40 yards further to that end because it was in the net. Um, and I think it was Aaron Tishbola who scored. And it was like half an inch over the line. It was just in. And then they were like, well, how did the, ref- how did the assistant, the assistant's view was blocked. How could he make that decision? It's like, it doesn't matter how he made the decision. He got it right. So yeah. being annoyed about a correct decision always seems to me like just the worst thing to be. 
Right, before we finish off in this game, let's move on to county for a little bit. Um, I'm starting to sense a little bit of a repeat of last season for them in that they started off well, playing playing quite, quite well and winning. Then they moved towards playing quite well and drawing. And do we think they're now eventually going to trickle down towards losing every week? Or do you think there's more about them this year? No, they, there's definitely more about them. I think they've got a better squad. They've got a bit, it's definitely got a better success. Uh, living. So just looking at the game at the weekend, I thought over... <laughs> I was going to say overall they were probably the better side but again they were helped by playing against 10 men for what was it half an hour or so the uh, the big thing was like the bench Stuart Kettlewell's got options so like unused subs were Ollie Shaw uh, what a really poor to say, <laughs> sign he's been player spitting uh, Jordan Tilson so they, they brought in like uh, Stephen Kelly and uh, Josh Mullen and even Charles Cook and Tremarco, they were brought in at half-time because they weren't great. They had moments in the first half, but they weren't great. Harry Payton was uh, was off it. Listen to the uh, listen to the, the the coaches and the players' shouts. I knew he was getting set, uh, he was getting chopped at half-time because he gave the ball away just trying to do Try maybe trying to overcomplicate things when what he needed to do was uh, simplify, simplify it. So he's trying to like pass around the corner or or reflex or tr- he was trying stuff which which was just great, but just it was constantly not coming off. So it was like okay, just put your foot on the ball and and, and keep it and just uh, kind of build yourself back to the game. And the the shouts, there was kind of agitated shouts towards him. Uh, left back, Josh Reed, he had uh, he had a poor game. Game got booked for pulling down. I think it was Gardine. Like Gardine was was floating around. Um, oh no! What am I talking yeah, about? No, I was he for. That would be an interesting, uh, an interesting. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, uh, I was I was too busy thinking about Gardine. No, uh, Josh Reed. He, he got uh, he got yellow carded for uh, pulling down a name. I can't remember who, but it was just—it was just one of those where just it was just an obvious booking. I can say like I, I like the look of Reed, but my concern at the moment he is young, he's slightly naive, and he's a bit rash. So he was hooked at halftime, and they were they were more solid after the break. With uh, with the fact that they've had to take off Cole Donaldson after 25 minutes and bring on Keith Watson, but he still looked relatively solid again. You can go back to St Mirren and their kind of lack of uh, attacking threat, but Alex Yakovic, he's not he's, he's not going to be the type of defender that plays from the back, but he is he's really solid and he has really added a lot of strength, physicality, reliability to the, the, the back line. Going forward, they, they they had their moments. Like, like I said, Gardine was excellent. He was really really good. He's thirty four now, but he, he played wide. Had to, but he was just floating around the pitch, and he's got a great drop of the shoulder. Still got a wee bit of pace about him as well. He's got a great drop of shoulder that creates some space and allows him to chuck in a few uh, few decent crosses. And overall, there is a lot there for. Ross County to build on. I think Kelwell maybe is still figuring out his best 11. Yeah, it's obviously his first spell as a manager himself. My concern with them is how bad Cole Donaldson's injury is going to be because I think him and Jacoviti have built up a decent relationship. And in the midfield, Ian Vigers, he had a, a, an erratic game. There's times where, so you, you, I think Fowler talked about it last week, he's a playmaker in the midfield. And 
with Figures, you can actually see when you talk about uh, um, NFL quarterback, you can actually see like similarities with Figures just because he's not got he's he's not as quick as his opponents, he's not as physical as his opponents, but he's he's sharp in the head and he's always just kind of looking to create space and like again, similar like Gardine, dropping the shoulder, dipping away, trying to create that bit of space and then pinging a, a long ball. He's got that capability. But defensively, he struggled at times where when the ball went goal side of him, Draper didn't help him out too much because Draper's still in his, still like the Draper of Inverness where he looks to push forward. This is where I think Tilson might be a better option if you are playing Vigers to give him better protection and more legs in the centre of his field. Yeah, and, and they, yeah, they, they look interesting. I think I just, uh, just a quick comment for me on Regan Charles Cook. I am becoming increasingly of the opinion that he is not a very good footballer. I I stupidly talked him up when they signed him on the basis of reading what English fans, which I should never do, never pay attention to what English lower league fans think of players because it appears to bear performances of players in the Scottish Premiership and English lower leagues appear to bear no resemblance to each other. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I, and yeah, every player that tells you that someone's good, they tend to be rubbish, and if they're if they're all moaning about them, they they tend to do well. So yeah, um, but that that miss, it's just and it's happened so often. He looks like he can't trap a ball. He, like it, it does sometimes give the impression of if um, I had been signed by Ross County and just had like managed to trick my way into a contract and then went on the park. Some of the stuff he does. Looks like that. We'll be generous to him and maybe say that he is adapting to the pace of Scottish football, but um, I think that has been very generous. We'll wait and see. Yeah. I'm starting to be of the impression that he is going to be, um, I was going to say in January, uh, shipped back down to England, but who knows? It could be October. could be in the same window. Of course. <laughs> the window's still got a wee while to run. We might see a couple of players shipped out. Yeah, that, that is actually really interesting. I never really thought of that. So that's actually interesting. So it's, that's just like the equivalent of getting subbed before halftime. Yeah, exactly. Just no, no thanks. Cheerio. Um, we will then move on then to, to the other game that we're going to talk about, which uh, was was a bit of a non-event at Ibrox, to be honest. Um, Rangers took Omarnock now. I'll start with me my take from, from a Kelly perspective. It's slightly worrying, not in the sense I expected to lose um, the game, and that's fine. But unlike so often with Kelly against Rangers, or Celtic, normally, even though we play very defensively, there's a bit of bravery and endeavour on the ball. I didn't think there was as much of that in this game. There seemed to be a no. bit more passiveness. And that just means you're inviting pressure. Normally, when we win the ball back, we can keep it for a while. You know, we're not maybe even getting up the park, but, but there's players, like some of the most composed footballers I've seen playing for Kelly in a long time, the likes of Gary Dicker, um, Tish Ball is the same. Unflustered on the ball normally, but Everyone, it just seemed to be very panicked and very like, yeah, very like pretty much most teams of the size of Kelly when they go to Ibrox, how they normally play. But we've been making a habit of not playing like that. You saw it against Celtic, the, the, that type of performance I described happened against Celtic three weeks ago, where when we got the ball back, we kept it. We were brave on it and that, that didn't happen and that for me is a worry. You, I, I'm not worried too much about getting beat 2-0. That, that can happen. You can play very well and get beat 2-0 there. But it was just a very nothing performance. I thought, having seen uh, Rangers against St Mirren and heard about them against St Johnston, I think Kilmarnock handled the attack 
I can fit better than the other teams, but there was just yeah, there was just nothing, nothing going going forward, and that's uh, that's what made it as as a, as a whole as a neutral. I thought it was interesting enough just because Rangers uh, were starting with Etten and, and and Roof, and you had uh, Kent, so there was there was there was plenty there. But for a Kamarnik's perspective, there was never that feeling as watching it that you felt they were going to trouble Rangers too much or Rangers were ever in any trouble with that. As soon as it went 1-0, that was, that was game over. And it's, it's hard to watch that, especially if it's your team where you just know that one goal and, and you're dead. And it's just, it's, it's, really, it's really deflating. And it may, I mean, um, I think I'd made a point um, when we drew with Celtic of the fact that Kelly have come from behind to get a result against Rangers or Celtic something ludicrous like eight times in the last three seasons of coming from behind and then winning or drawing but yeah that and a, and a lot of people who were at the game I watched it in bits um, because I was out originally and then when I looked at the score I'm like I'm not going to sit and put myself through the full 90 minutes so I just kind of watch bits here and there but people who I say people who were at the game people who were watching the game nobody was at the game um, people who were watching the game um, said it kind of reminded them more of the Jim Jeffries type of performances against Rangers yeah. where we went I think we took five points against the old firm in the entire some, that may, that seems a bit low Some something in the region of like five, six, seven points against Rangers and Celtic in the entire time Jim Jeffries was killing that, that's, that probably that sounds about right um, his record's pretty pretty poor against them. We won, we won at Ibrox um, once when Stephen Naismith scored, and I don't think we beat Celtic at all in a, in a couple of draws here and there, so it probably is. Um, and, and a lot of people said it was more reminiscent, especially in the second half, because the first half we competed well, but it was more the fact when we went behind. Because almost you can get away with doing what I said until it goes to 1-0. You'd rather not do it, but sometimes you get a nothing each draw out of doing exactly what I described. But... Once it went to one now, it just like it was like there was no belief that they were going to get back in it. Yeah, my fear for Kilmarnock is there wasn't no options on the bench to change it, and there just there was any thrust or pace really in the middle to attack in third, which is going to take you up the pitch really quickly, yeah. and it's going to be a danger to uh, teams on the threat. So they. Uh, Celtic was a threat because you had Kabamba who can knock it long to and you've seen uh, Julian's and to an extent Ayers issues with uh, with target men uh, kind of mediocre target men in, yeah. the, in, in the premiership whereas against Rangers the, the way it was built they, just, they were never going to get never going to trouble it's, it's worrying in that respect so I think the players are the quality of the players there is still quite high but it's just that there's a lot of very similar players there's a yeah. lot of talk about Malumbu coming back who would at least add a little bit more um Finesse, which has definitely been missed in the middle. But as you said, just someone with a bit more pace, like we, even all the signings we made that all seem quite slow. And pace can take you quite a long way in this league. But that, that's enough about Kelly because I really think there isn't much to say about our performance. What about Rangers? No Morelos. Um, possibly we've seen him for the last time. What did you make of his, his replacements? I am going to assume that Kemar Roof is his primary replacement, whereas Itten is maybe a a default, a backup replacement. I could be wrong on that. What did you make of him in his first start for Rangers? Roof, I... He, he gradually came into... I think it was pretty anonymous in the first half. They switched it around. So Stephen Gerrard talked afterwards. I was only half listening to uh, half listened to him when he was being interviewed uh, after, after watching it. And he, he was talking about uh, nines and t- a wide nine or a, a, a deep ten. So it's like stuff like that, and uh, I kind of got a bit lost by it. But 
in the first half, Etten was playing wide right and it wasn't until it's with Roof through the middle and it wasn't until the second half where they both played as more of a, a strike partnership where they, they had better chemistry and Roof was uh, Roof was more involved. I think Roof had a, had a decent game. He got into the areas, like with the goal, he's got into the areas that you want as a Ranger striker with the, the chances they're going to create. That, that That's where he needs to be. And he almost scored a cracking header, which I think, again, is another aspect of Roof where he might be an uh, upgrade on Morelos is him in the air. He scored a lot of great headers for Leeds, if I remember correctly. And I think he's going to be a better target for Barisic and Tavernier. Because imp- those two are so important. Both had an assist. Barisic as and lots about Kent, but Barisic may well be the player this season so far. No, I know it's only five games, three games in terms of uh, uh, Celtic, but they, those those two are those two are really important. I think Roof will build a good relationship with them. Itton, uh, it was all right. I think he's going to take a lot, a bit more to adapt to the league and to find a specific place for him, I think he would he will be useful when Rangers are, for example, if it stayed 0-0 until the 70, 75th minute, uh, and there was just more crosses, more pressure, I think that's where he might be be, uh, be useful for. So both of those had decent games, Roof better than it, but again, it was it was the Ryan Kent show, because he was just uh, all over the place, he was given a free roll, and he was superb. It's good. I think. I think from him, you've always seen the talent, and there's been some particular European games, more so than domestically. You've mm-hmm. seen what he can do, Kent. Um, but I mean, you're looking now, Rangers, and the two goal scorers are both seven million pound players, um, which you you struggle to compete with that as another team. Yeah. And but when you pay seven million pounds, it's been talked about before. You expect output, and that's him. Hopefully, starting. I say hopefully from their point of view, not hopefully from mine. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Um, hopefully, starting to um, get some output from that, and actually starting to score goals and do things. And I think, yeah, I think he gets a hard time in the sense that he's a a player who I like watching as a footballer. Like um, he's unpredictable, and when he is on form, he's he's close to unplayable. Um, and there's not a lot of players in Scotland you can say that about. Yeah, absolutely. The way that he, the way that he weaves around players, and when when he gets up the head of steam, you really fear for fullbacks and defenders. And I think more and more Kent will become double or triple marked by teams just because he poses such a such a threat. I mean, the goal itself was you go back to Livingston on the Sunday when they drew nil nil, and he had that great chance towards the end, and you were thinking that. Okay, Ken is going to be the one who's going to create something at the Tony Macaroni Arena. He's really trying to take the take the game by the scruff of the neck, and then he had that chance. You think, right? That's the moments where you need to deliver as a seven million pound player. But then you again go to the game on Saturday. He really looked like he was stepping up and basically saying, in the absence of Morelos, I'm the main man. Yeah. And his finish for the second goal was absolutely brilliant. It was just it was one of those just those those passes into the bottom corner. He didn't he didn't put a lot of um, he didn't try to hammer it. He didn't try to put his laces through it. He just he knew exactly what he was doing. And I think that's a big thing for Kent this season is that sometimes, like you said, he's unpredictable. But I think that works his way as well, that he's sometimes not sure what he needs, to, uh, what he's going to do. But I think this season, so far, he looks more in control, more refined and more certain in what he's wanting and trying to do. Yeah, and I think it's, it's easy to forget he's a young player who's still developing and learning. You know, he's, yeah. he's in 
what will now be his third season of playing kind of proper men's football as far as I say. I don't think he had many productive loan spells before he came to Rangers. Um, I think he One might have maybe. been out, but I don't think he played a lot. Um, I could be mistaken. So this is him still developing as a player. And, and whether they keep a hold of him now is a question. If, if Leeds really want him, I think they'll get him because you can't compete with the money a club like that has. But he's, he's probably adding to his own transfer value as he, as he gets there, which is, is only good for Rangers. Um, right, I guess unless you've got anything else to add on, on that game, we can probably just wrap things up. Yeah, that like like you said, there wasn't much to talk about there. Rangers were were good, but didn't have to be yeah. better than kind of second, third gear. So I think there'll be harder tests up uh, up the road for Rangers. Maybe not this Saturday because they're away to Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And like I said, Kilmarnock were just were just very just shrugged the shoulders. <laughs> I think I know my notes here actually the other thing I said was Nathan Patterson coming on for his uh, his league debut for Rangers or at least his, yeah, his league debut I think for Rangers. It will be interesting one thing since Gerrards came in is they've not really used their youth players very much. Now you can be critical of Gerrard for that but I actually prefer to be critical of their youth system because their youth system has not produced much in recent mm-hmm. years. The one player that they have produced of genuine quality is um strolling around the Chelsea midfield and I don't think they can be um, you know it's not their own fault for not um, not being able to keep a hold of him but for Rangers it's interesting to see I've heard a lot of good things about what they've been doing recently with their youth system and you're starting to see some um, starting to see some of that in the kind of youth cup performances and stuff and there's some really promising looking players and, and Patterson is one of those it will be interesting to see in the kind of heat of the trying to stop 10 in a row and all of this how much opportunity is given to these players, and you can you do wonder if they'll be somewhat restricted. Um, yeah, I think I think so. I think th- th- what Gerard done there. I think there's a there's a feeling that Nathan Parson is the heir to James Tavernier, and it would be as it's, it's like Kieran Tierney. There'd be something gone badly wrong if he didn't make it. Yeah. So I think with the the five subs probably works to Parson's benefit in some in some sense that. In games like that, he will get bring off the uh, he'll be brought off the bench and given those experience. But I don't think behind him there might not be many opportunities for others this season. Yeah, just because of the nature of the situation, which is uh, which is not ideal. Yeah, it's not it's not good for the development. Um, but anyway, well, thanks for for joining me, Joe. It's good to speak to you today, and um, you will hear me now about to speak to. Graham, I think, and, uh, and subsequently to Gary later on in the show. But, but that's your part over, Joe, so thanks very much. Lovely, thank you. Nice speaking to you. Bye. I'm now joined by uh, Graham Phyllis. Uh, and Graham is, I'm sure, delighted to be talking through the Lanarkshire Derby today, uh, followed by Dundee United v Celtic. How are you doing, Graham? I'm good, thanks, Craig. Uh, much like you last week uh, when Fowler decided that you had to cover the Kelly game, that you just watched your team throw away in the last minute. Uh, much the same this week, really delighted to be talking about a game um, which had kind of very little in a positive sense from, from Motherwell throughout, really. Excellent. Well, we'll, we'll, just, uh, we'll just crack on and do that and just rip off the plaster immediately. Um, so I'll ask you some general questions about the game later on, but, but my main point is, do you think that Muller will just need to work harder and show a bit more desire? That's it. That's that, that is, that's essentially the answer to all of our problems. I, I, I gather is that the the big problem is that we're just not working hard enough, or we're 
just not. It, it makes no sense. Like, again, well, well, this is much the same as much the same as my sort of complaint last week, and continue to just do daft things with the team. Um, and if you're on the basis that even just going down that line, that that, that idea that we just need to work harder and do do things better. If you're going to say that you're going to go work along those lines, then why with ten minutes to go? Do you hook the guy that does those things? Uh, why do you hook Alan Campbell and why do you change the team and take it away from somebody who very genuinely does drive the team forward? He, he is, again, as I said last week, he is a, he is the perfect example to anybody in terms of what you should be doing as a footballer. And again, we are punished. Um, not not specifically because of that, but it was certainly a, a, certainly a factor of that. Um, as, as Alan Campbell was removed to go with our tactic of just throwing on loads of forwards with 20 minutes to go as we've, we've tried numerous times and it's never once worked we, the, the closest it came to working was against uh, St Merlin in the cup last year when we were three down at half time and again the real, the real reason the turnaround for that game was Mark O'Hara coming on and starting to control the midfield. It wasn't while the forwards weren't working particularly fluidly we'll say it was certainly much better when we had the original three of Sadoff, White and, and, and Lang on there. So why we're looking to change that and, and do something totally different and chuck on Tony Watt and Hilton and Hasty and then hope that makes a big difference. It, it doesn't. It never has. And I, I'd be astonished if it ever does. I think you saw the shift. Um, I mean, I, I didn't I didn't see the full game, but just in the highlights, you saw the shift of all of a sudden from Motherwell controlling the game, but maybe not getting the goal they needed to Hamilton running over the top of them. Um which more or less corresponded to those changes you talked about. 100%. And, and again, it's stop fucking about with Campbell, essentially. So over the course of the game, Motherwell had about 70, 70% of the possession. It's not unfair to suggest that Motherwell were in control of the game, um, while Aki's had probably the better chances in the game, um, with the exception of Turnbull's header, which was, I, th- I think, Motherwell's best chance. Callahan had a brilliant chance to score as well. But f- for the five-minute period between Campbell being hooked and then the goal... Um, which I, I appreciate is only a five-minute period. It's not really the, the, the most startling start of all time. But from a seventy a game where we average seventy percent possession over it for that five-minute period when Campbell went off, Aki's that start flipped and Aki's had sort of 70 percent possession in that five-minute period, which saw them score a goal. And then after that, they didn't need to do anything. So again, that went back into Motherwell's favour. But that was the only real period of the game where Aki's were fully on top of Motherwell. And it's it's. It's just not a coincidence. It's not a great surprise if you take off your most enterprising and energetic midfielder, then you start to lose control of the game in the middle of the park. And the game, in essence, came down to the sets of substitutions. Um, and you look at the substitutions that came on on paper. Motherwell brought on better players than Hamilton did. I, I, again, I don't think that's, a, that's an outrageous thing to say. Um, bringing on Regan Rimnaw and uh, um, Winter. Smith. Callum Smith, Lewis and Andy Winter is the name of the player. Andy Winter, Tyler Fowler, or I could remember last week because he kept give, he kept calling him Aaron Winter, and I wanted to correct him the right name, and I was like racking my brain for what he was actually called. So I looked it up, Andy Winter. Um, yeah, but they, I mean the, the, the changes that they made, and it's really it's it's really easy to look at Hamilton Aki's and be quite dismissive of guys like Ross ha- Ross Callahan, who has had a sort of stop start top flight career. Um, at, in, in the kindest way more stop um, than start I think more stop than start but again in Callahan in the central midfield you get 
exactly what you pay for. You get a guy that's going to run all day long and a guy that's going to go and press. And the number of interceptions that Callahan made over the course of the game was remarkable. Um, again, it was one of those things I went to go back and actually write down how many there were, but there was a lot in there and I would be surprised if there was anyone higher in the game than him for it. Um, and all of those substitution one in one substitution one way or another for Aki's kind of added something to their game. Mim, Mimno brought a, a real sort of danger from set piece deliveries. Lewis Smith, while he came around earlier in the game, I thought he was very good in the wing as well. After despite the fact he took a clatter and looked like he needed to be reminded what his name was after a while, um, Trafford and Winter again pressed, worked hard. By that point, as soon as as soon as Aki scored, you knew exactly what was coming from them and, and absolutely fair play to them for it. Um, Whereas Motherwell substitutions, you took off Callum Lang, who had just about been getting the, the better of Aki's right back. You take him off and bring on Jermaine, Jermaine Hilton, who I, th- I think must have given the ball away six, seven times. Just kept getting the ball under his feet and it just wasn't coming out for him. So again, what you it's, it's just such a disappointment as well. With our striker changes as well, I mean... Aki's had um, David Moyle playing in a sort of left left hand side of midfield, um, who I thought had a really good game in, in, in a role, which is I would imagine not his preferred role. Simply, um, but again, coming back to the number of touches and influence in the game between them, White, uh, Chris Long, Tony Watt, Jake Hasty had the same number of touches as David Moyle, who was a, a guy who'd been deployed on the left wing in order as a very specific role to try and win knockdowns and stuff like that so you're looking at four or five guys who just haven't affected the game as opposed to to um, David Moyle who in an unfamiliar role and one that he's probably not played an awful lot he's contributed significantly more than guys that have a much bigger reputation and are fundamentally probably as good or better players than him and there's two players that um, have stood out for me for Hamilton on Saturday, and I think have stood out for me, to be honest, when I've seen them this season, which was uh, Ryan Fulton and Hakeem Odofin. So Odofin is a player that, he, pl- he played for Livy, he played 20 games for Livy, but I would not have been able to tell you a single, uh, No, yeah. exactly, I wouldn't have been able to tell you a single thing about any one of them. If I'd walked past Hakeem Odofin in the street, I and he threw a glass of water in my face I don't think I would know who he was um, had to choose my words carefully there um, and uh, so he was a player who I didn't expect much from when they signed him but he, he looks pretty strong he looks like he's kind of he, he dealt with Motherwell's attack pretty well he nearly had a goal just before he scored as well so he, he seems to be um, an important player at both ends yeah, I thought he was absolutely tremendous. Um, I watched, um, I actually thought last week I was going to be talking about uh, St Mirren and Aki's, but then as it turned out, I wasn't. So I ended up watching St Mirren, St. Mirren and Aki's for no reason other than my own particular enjoyment. Um, and I thought a Dolphin was, was, was fantastic in that game as well. He just looks very, very assured at everything. He, he's aggressive in winning the ball. He's comfortable with the ball at his feet as well. Um, I don't know whether... Again, I know at Levy he played at fullback and I think he played in the centre as well. But then again, everyone plays at fullback and plays in the centre for Livingston. So I'm not really sure if that's a, a good test in terms of what type of player somebody is. Um, I had assumed by the fact that he was a number two as well, he was going to be a, a fullback for Hamilton Ackes as well. Um, and I don't know whether it's just a case of he, he, he is doing a job there in the meantime. Um, but physically, he's, he's more than capable of playing at centre half, it certainly looks like. And perhaps being a fullback 
um, gives him just that a little bit more ability with the ball at his feet than other players as well. And again, having him alongside um, Sean Want, who is one of these um, young Aki's players, Aki's youth players seem to take sort of one of two paths and they either go from the youth team into the first team and then are sold almost immediately. Um, either sort of Greg Dockery or James McCarthy or James McCarthy or any other number of, or Lewis Ferguson as well. Or they sort of hang around for a while and gradually sort of chip away and get to the sort of level that they need to be at. And Sean Mont certainly this season looks like he's getting there. I, I don't think it's any surprise it's standing next to Hakeem Adolphin, who has an, looks as if he's got an awful lot more assured touch than certainly Marcus Fjortoft, for example. Um, Sean Mont just looks like a better certain half. Um, and the two of them looked really, really comfortable um, for, the, for the majority of the day against... Motherwell's plethora of attacking options, none of whom had a particularly good game. So, yeah, I, th- I thought both of them were very good. And I agree, Dolphin, I thought it was absolutely terrific. I think the, the interesting thing for, from Aki's point of view is, like, I think Brian Rice does the right thing for the type of budget they have, which is the type of players he brings in are workers, they're grafters, and they're people who have a good attitude. You, you don't really get bad attitudes at Aki, so they're supplementing these youth players who, as you say, are hit and miss a little bit, but then the guys that they bring in, you, you look at all those sub. you know, I, I'm made fun of as, I think you're right to, that the players, that they, I think they announced three of them in the same day and all three of them were like championship level players like Callaghan, and Trafford and Callum Smith, but they all graft away. But but Fulton's the one that, that's just kind of stood out for me a wee bit because he's 24 now. He was a Scotland under 21 keeper. He came through at Liverpool, so there was something about him clearly at some point, but every time... Up until now, I'd seen him play for Aki's. He was obviously understudied to a lot of different goalkeepers. I always had my doubts about him, but I thought against Celtic on the opening day, he had a good game, mostly. And then um, subsequently, I've seen him a few times, and he seems to be starting to kind of grow in stature a bit as a goalkeeper, which it does take you a bit longer to develop. And, and he made, I mean, none of them were amazing saves, but he just made a lot of saves or a lot of pretty good saves, especially from Turnbull. They seem to be having their own little contest for a little while. Again, I've, I, I, I've long been of the opinion that what you want from a goalkeeper is competency at the very minimum. And then if you've got that, then you can add to that in, in one way or another in terms of incredible shot stopping or, or delivery or whatever else. Um, but fundamentally, if you have someone who is competent to begin with, then that's that's where you start. And he certainly looks like that at the moment as well. Like, I'm much the same in that a few times you've seen in the past and he just looked, um, I don't know, like a, a kid playing with men. Um, but this season, I, I agree, he's looking awful, an awful lot more assured. It was a ball right at the end that he came for, having seen everything else, but because he's typically quite wee, and you saw it was a kind of long ball into the box, and he just came through a pack of about six Mullerwell players to win it, and you think, like, I feel like a couple of years ago he would have like got lost in that pack and got knocked over looking for a foul, but he just kind of came through. So final word from you, I guess, on Mullerwell would be um, Thursday night, Glen Torren, live on Premier Sports. What what do you think? Are you worried? Are you worried about this? Terrif- one? Properly terrified about it. Like genuinely terrified about it. I watched a little bit uh, of Glen Torn against HB, and it didn't look like a wonderful game of football. Um, but I imagine it's going to be much the same as what Motherwell have come up against this season, which is teams that are quite happy to sit in and defend against this. Um, teams are well aware of the fact that we on the break. Um, are more threatening essentially um, with the, the pace that we've got in wide areas we can hurt players there um, with fullbacks like Stephen O'Donnell as well to get forward we can hurt people there if teams are going to sit in which has been shown on every game this season just about if they're going to sit in then we are unable at the moment to pick our way through them um, that we it does feel to a degree that we are 
reliant or team or players that are passing responsibility on to Campbell and Turnbull and just expecting them to go ahead and sort it out. Um, and that's that's ve- like it's felt like that in, in bits and pieces. But Saturday it felt very much like that. It was just the case: give the ball to Turnbull and let him do something because he'll score a goal or he'll do something brilliant, which is fine. Um, but Aki's did a very good job in terms of not so much not only just closing them down but just cut, just shutting down angles on them um, it made it more and more difficult for him to play passes which was then reliant on him playing an absolutely incredible pass in order to to play in one of our 14 forwards at one point or another um, and that's that's my concern with it because I, I would imagine that Clinton will look at that will look at the other what five games we've played this season um, and seen the, the struggles we've had with that and that's what they'll do they will, they will come and they will set up to frustrate us and to try and nick a, a goal on a, a goal on the break which I wouldn't blame them in the slightest for and um, that's absolutely how you want to play against us just now if they come to Fur Park and decide they're going to open up against us then I think we might do them some damage but I, I think if they do there's been absolutely no reason to do that I think I think there is for me it just there's shades to that Clinethley game from a few years ago and, and the advantage Mother had that time was, you know, even after they lost that at Fur, or sorry, it wasn't at Fur Park, it was in Neardry, wasn't it? Or yes. something. Um they had the chance to, to go and chase it up. But with this being a one off game, that makes the chance of a shock a bit bigger. Not not that two legs preclude you from a shock, as Stephen O'Donnell will tell you. Um, the next time you see him in the Chinese or whatever. But um it, it's um I, I think they will win, but it will be, I think, you're, as you say, I think it'll be a nervy night. We'll move on to what was a nervy evening for Celtic um, at Tannadice. I'm not sure if it can be nervy on what is your third league game of the season, but it does feel like they're already playing catch-up a little bit with um, their, their self-imposed um, postponements. But they did manage to eventually break down what, what I thought was a, an excellent um, Dundee United performance, um, and, and they got the goal eventually through it. Albion. I keep wanting to call him Albin because that seems like more of a normal name, but it's Albion Ajeti. Indeed, uh, yeah. Neil Lennon praising his team's mentality of being able to bring a five million pound striker off the bench against Dundee United to win a game. Um, brilliant. Um, Celtic kind of even e- even as they were thumping uh, Hamilton Ackes on the opening day, and even as they thumped the the lad from Iceland as well does kind of feel they just haven't really got started as well this season um, and I don't think it's anything to, certainly it's not something to worry about because Celtic's record over the past nine seasons is unquestionable Celtic win games when it matters they go and get the results they win trophies they win all the cups fine however um, that they are they lost a couple of games essentially um, after the Covid break it's difficult that going into that break they drew with Kilmarnock as well and again what was a sort of really lacklustre performance for them on the day um, Kilmarnock were good in the day and, and, and worked hard at it but it wasn't it wasn't Steve Clark's Kilmarnock beating Celtic it was a, it's a different Kilmarnock it's not that same sort of that same sort of quality and again watching it on Saturday evening just it just looked a little bit sort of I don't know, clunky. Like it's just not quite clicking the way that it is. Christie's not quite at the level he was. McGregor's not quite at the level he was. Edward is for me probably the one that's closest to the level that they can get to. Um, I think you're much the same as me in the, watching watching the way in which he moves the ball between his feet. Is there's nobody better in Scotland that he is in terms of guys that are able to do that. He's in a very limited pool of guys who are actually able to do that in this country. That said. They've got. A, do they now possibly have a depth 
at centre forward it's really difficult to tell because Celtic have done this a dozen times over the past 10 years as well where they've brought in a centre forward of £3 million and you've gone he's done something you've gone yeah do you know what he might actually be the, the, the difference maker here um, if they need to go and change it and if they need to go and do something different it's really difficult to tell after one game but again coming straight in and getting a goal is, is certainly a good sign I reckon you could name genuinely 20 centre forwards that have played for Celtic in about the last decade who have, who have scored like five or less goals uh, I'm not going to do it now, but I reckon I reckon you are genuinely talking about that sort of ballpark in terms of the number of uh, number of guys they've had, and you, you've got both um, both Ajeti and Klamala now, um, who who may or may not join those ranks. Um, I've liked the look of Ajeti from what I've seen of him, but it's been very little. I, um, he obviously had a really good record in, in Switzerland, and ultimately comes up with a goal. It's not it's not a an amazing goal, but you have you have to be there to put it in. Um, it, it did seem like that was the only way that they were going to score against Dundee United was to like just keep battering the door like repeatedly, like and that it was going to come from a save and a block and everything else rather than um, some piece of skill because it just, it just it seemed like an afternoon that it wasn't coming off for them. I think um, I think the fact I think the fact there was what like three Dundee United players on the line um, as it went in probably highlights that it was just a case of you just need somebody to come on and hit it really fucking hard yeah. and, and, and on the edge of the six yard box and hope for the best. The the thing that really I was really really impressed with Dundee United. I thought um, I, I know we talked or I can't remember who I talked to before about Mickey Mellon, and I liked the fact that from everything I'd read about him, he didn't seem to have a system. He didn't seem to like go on about his identity. He didn't seem to say. You know, I want to play football this way. He just seems to be a football manager that wanted to win games. Yeah, and and I know it's funny to say that's in a game that they lost ultimately, but he seems to be just quite. Um, he set up his team to be pretty organised, but they've played they played more attacking in other games. They're not wedded to a system, and I think that's really important in this league because Dundee United are going to have games like that where they are trying to see it out, and they're going to have lots of games where they're at home and they're expected to to play a team off the park and you need to have the ability to flip between that and I just thought the, the shape of the team they were so well drilled um, it reminded me they weren't playing the same way but it reminded me in terms of organisation of like Steve Clark's killing that they were so organised every player knew what he was doing and then you had individuals who were brave on the ball uh, Harks in particular I thought had a, had a really nice game um, plenty of players played well I thought um, so, and and I think the thing that I always like is when you have a team who are that well drilled, you can bring in players who are kind of peripheral, like someone like Logan Chalmers. Like you, you would have barely known he was playing, but you never minded the, that. If you know what I mean, he was just running about and doing a lot of work. And the same with Lewis Nielsen, actually. Like you never really, you never really. I guess it's meant. I'm, what I'm meaning to say is that you never really noticed that that was like a 17 year old, 18 year old boy. I thought. I thought Nielsen was very, very good. Um, the this game and, and any any other time I've seen him, seen him playing for United, I he gives the impression of a guy that might go quite far in the game. He looks a, like a real fine just now, a real positive, and he I, I gather he's a centre half playing at fullback at the moment. Um, but again, if you're able to do that, it probably indicates that you've probably got enough pace to survive in, in in the first place. But more than anything else, he's just got a real composure uh, on the ball. There was a couple of times he just went and dribbled out of defence, which. When the argument always comes around that the young, sort of talented Scottish young players don't never make it through, it's just big giant laddies. Really, he's, he certainly looks fine on sort of both fronts here, and he looks very capable and competent on the ball. So if he gets a season at playing at right back at for Dundee United before 
shifting inside to go and be a centre half there. He every time I've seen him so far this season, he's certainly one one that I'll be paying an awful lot of attention to because he just looks like he's got a real talent. And it's more than anything else, just he how calm he seems on the ball. And there, there was a lot of that in the Dundee United team over the course of the game as well. I thought that sort of wee triangle of of, of Reynolds, Connolly, and Butcher, and just sort of on the edge of the box most of the game, and then everyone else just sort of working around those three. I thought was really impressive. Just those three continually moving left or right or whatever, whatever going to sort of move the entire unit around. I thought all three of them were very good. And again, I have to hold my hands up. I realise it's very early in the season, but that's exactly the th- sort of three sort of players that I thought might struggle coming up to Premiership level. There's a lot of guys in that United squad who are quite young and guys who perhaps haven't been at this level before um, for any sort of significant period of time. Um, but those three are guys that have been at this level before and have to a degree struggled at this level. Um, the discipline in their performance I thought was very good, particularly Butcher as well, because he is he gives the impression that he's matured a, a significant amount since the last time he was in the top flight as well. And I thought the three of them and, and the way, like you say, whether it's Freeman or 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 Nielsen or the other bodies around them, I thought he did very well. And again, it's everything with Dundee United just now is kind of predicated on the basis that you're aware that this isn't quite Dundee United as yet. We saw Paul McMullen coming off the bench as well, which he had something uh, in terms of pace in the United squad as well. And there was the number of times I saw um, Harks taking the ball in midfield and sort of looking up wide. And, and with the best well in the world, there wasn't a huge number of bodies to play it to, either wide or forward, because they just don't have that many bodies just now. Nicky Clark, I thought, did a reasonable job in terms of holding the ball up to try and get people in. But really what you want is you want Paul McMullen playing wide, you want Lauren Shanklin through the middle, because then you've not only got an out ball uh, in terms of just getting the ball away from defence but you've got two guys there who are capable of hurting teams as well and McMullen's pace you saw a little bit um, after he came on as well by that point Dundee United felt kind of spent so it was kind of difficult to sort of judge it in any in any real way but I thought McMullen coming back in might be a, might be a big turning point for United as well as, as good as their season's been so far I think to keep that momentum going they need someone with a bit of pace wide and a bit of quality wide and I think McMullen could potentially bring that as well Sure um, but if we talk about goalkeeper the last time just briefly uh, for Benjamin Seagrest had a really good game I've never been sure of him um, but watching that you can see just like a proper goalkeeper like it seemed like technically very good for a goalkeeper like every save he seemed to be doing exactly the right thing with it there was a save he made low down, I think it was from a header in the corner. And, and I thought it, it was just, the way he went down for it, he just looked very, very well trained. It looked like I've done this a hundred times before in training and a thousand times um, and I'm going to get this. And you can maybe pick a tiny fault at him for the goal for his original save. But I think given the amount of saves he make, made, it would be harsh. Like again, and there's two games a season probably that Seagrest is going to have to make as many saves yeah. um, as this when they play the old term that's when he's going to be under the most pressure like you say I, I think he went with his wrong hand um, for the initial shot but again it was an absolutely diamond of a shot so you've got to get something on it and then get yourself set back up again to they were unfortunate another day about rebounds off the, the as I say the three players on the line Seagrest there as well could have done a bit better but yeah very good in there and I'd like to hear this point now about the other goalkeeper at the other end, Barkas. I've not seen him, I've watched him play three games in which I ba- he's barely made the save. Um, I think he let in Chris Burke's penalty, which um, was, was a rock of a penalty. But there is something about Barkas that makes me think he is going to be a mistake-prone goalkeeper. I don't know what it is, but I, I'm going to put it on the table now. I think he's going to make a big mistake to cost him at some point, maybe in a Champions League qualifier or something. I think he'll be good in general. But there's something about him that, that gives me the gives me the jeepers a bit. 
Um, the final thing I wanted to talk about with Celtic is their midfield. Um, Olivia and Cham came into the team for this game. There'd been a lot of clamour from their supporters for this. As usual, I was a bit underwhelmed by Cham. He's a player who I think has a lot of ability, but he seems to struggle to show it too much. And, and I thought that's what we saw again here. I, I'm in full agreement in there as well. Like he's fine. He he does. He plays the ball well. He's a nice footballer. He always gives the impression, kind of similar to Rogic in that respect as well. That if he played in a cup final, he would probably score a goal. If he plays against Dundee United, he'll probably stick it about second gear and knock the ball about quite nicely. He, him and Rogic, both of them just feel like big game guys. Um, whereas the sort of run of the mill league fixtures don't really seem to get the same level of. Um, the same level of enthusiasm from them um, whereas again McGregor and Brown um, as comparison every game to them seems like it's the last game they're ever going to play um, so they approach every game in that respect which um, is eventually going to be the case for Scott Brown maybe or is he just <laughs> going to keep playing until he's 50 who knows it's entirely theoretical probably, at this probably point. can um, but in Cham I just think for the money they paid for him it was like four and a half five million quid I don't think <laughs> Maybe, maybe literally scoring that goal against Lazio has repaid that fee without even thinking about anything else. But just in general, I think I think they might have expected a bit more from Enchantment. And, and I'm, I understand why their fans want him to play because I think he offers something different to the rest of them. But to offer that, you have to actually provide it when you're asked to. And I, I don't think it's a surprise that they generally seem to struggle a bit more um, in these type of games when he's playing. I could be wrong on that, but it's it's interesting because obviously they've been linked with going back in for Turnbull now. If, even if Rogic leaves, they have a lot of options in that middle of the park area. And and it's interesting to work out which ones they should keep and which ones they shouldn't. And, and Cham seems to me to be one that if they got an offer for him, I feel like they should take it. Possibly. Well, I wouldn't disagree with that enormously. At the same time, Scott Brown at some point, as we were just talking about, will not be there. Um, Callum McGregor might be at Celtic forever. Might decide, you know, what I've I've done. Like I've won like, again. I've won the ten. I've I've won everything that there is to win in Scotland multiple times. Maybe I want to stay here for another five years. When at some point we won't win something, and then at that point things become an awful lot more difficult for me as a footballer. Yeah. Or do I go at a different level? It's it's really difficult to tell. And within Celtic, they'll know that and they'll understand what McGregor is or what what he isn't. Um. But similarly, and Cham just never—he never really feels like he fits in a Lennon team. Um, for me, he doesn't feel like he offers the the level of consistency, um, which a collection of the other players at Celtic are offering. Um, again, if you're going to spend that money, if you're going to if you're going to if you're going to get essentially David Turnbull for, essentially for free, if you're going to sell Tom Rogic and and buy David Turnbull with the, and have a profit at the end of that, that's great business. Um, if it was selling in Cham and getting a bit of money back as well and taking Turnbull I don't think that's as good business if that makes sense yeah. if you're to rank it you, Rogic would be the first out of the door for me yeah. certainly in the jam but I imagine we'll find out as things go on and jam certainly seems to be very much enjoyed by the status nerds that I don't understand so I, I wouldn't want to. Um, I wouldn't want to slate them in any way at all. I, I I was thinking about this the other day, and like I I am literally my job is to be a statistician, so of course I do appreciate like the value of the the numbers and all that. But I think there's going to come a point in football where stats people are going to be so involved in recruitment everywhere that it's going to swing the other way, and clubs are going to start trying to be different and trying to kind of break the mold by 
signing players based on eye. Yeah. And not based on the stats, and that'll be their way of doing like the reverse money ball. For like, well, well, the stats are okay. They'll be trying to sign players whose stats aren't great, but maybe they actually, uh, you know, for a. It's why it's, it's why Leeds are about to spend ten million on Ryan Kent. Possibly. Well, we, we talked about that. You won't know this, but I talked about Joel. Talked about him a bit with Joel already. Um, but yeah, so that's a nice link to the the previous one. Um, see, what it's almost like we're we're replacing each other on, on these uh, shows here. We're all we're also in sync with each other. Um all right, so thanks for joining me, Graham. I will I will let you go now. Um, Gary will join me for the final part of, of tonight's show. Um but as I say we'll we'll no doubt see you soon and thanks again for, for thanks Craig. Cheers. Bye. And last and very much least we welcome Gary Cocker onto the show. How are you doing Gary? It's not just me that's least it is also these two games. Yeah, and that, that, that was what I was alluding to more than you, I promise. Um, Backtracking, you hate to see it. <laughs> um, but I, I know, you've got, you know you've got a long memory, Gary, so I don't want to go on your, your bad side. <laughs> um, it's okay. You'll go on the third page of my uh, list of people going against the wall. You don't want to be on pages <laughs> one or two. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, we're going to talk about the remaining games. So we'll start with uh, Aberdeen versus Livingston. So we're talking about Sunday's two games. Um Aberdeen ultimately coming out as 2-1 winners, um, which I don't think their fans saw coming at halftime. No. Um, the thing about Aberdeen at the moment is, is that they're a bit of a... I don't think Schrodinger's cat is the right analogy to reach for here. I think probably the curate's egg is the better one, uh, which I'm pretty sure there's a listener of the show hates me uh, referring to. But basically, Aberdeen are somehow scraping victories out of not very good performances and it almost seems to be in spite of themselves. Um, obviously, I think uh, Scott McKenna went off, I think it was due to illness at halftime rather than any tactical change or anything being forced by injury. Although I suppose illness is an injury. Um, I'm just but, hoping it's not, a, it's not it's just not delayed symptoms from, from full bar. <laughs> I would, oh no, that, that really would not go well. Um, although it might actually give Derek McInnes a bit more time to think through um, the approach he takes to creativity in his team. Because uh, the thing that really jumped out at me is that he made, after they went 2-0 up, I think one thing that everybody who's seen Aberdeen this season recognises is that they're a side that look a little bit stifled. Um, they don't appear to have too much going on um, further up the field. Part of that is to do with the Hearts-esque, ludicrous list of injuries that they've had uh, this season. Also, I think Marley Watkins um, is going to be a, a decent acquisition for them. But once they went 2-0 up after an exquisitely worked goal um, between Hedges and Wright, um, McInnes decides to try and sit back and shut up shop. And it didn't make any sense to me because although Livingston had probably the better chance in the first half, it's still Livingston. Um, and they were still operating under... Um, some Aberdeen-esque uh, restrictions up top as well because they hadn't had uh, international clearance come through for Stokes or for is it Lacoche? Um, the so, other, so let's go for that, yeah. Let's yeah. go with it, why not? Um, so they hadn't had any uh, clearance come through so they were pretty limited up top too and it was maybe a chance for Aberdeen to to really sort of put their foot down on the, the pedal, accelerate, build confidence um, you know, allow you know hedges and and right and so on to to really uh, express themselves. But instead, he seemed to decide that he wanted to avoid defeat when he was 
turn up and coasting. It, it was just a very strange uh, situation. And I think it's one that even uh, Andy Constein, who uh, was suspended for this game, was commenting on Red TV. And I think even he was questioning um, the substitution. So it, it maybe goes to show that we're not the only ones who think that McInnes can maybe be a little bit more negative than he needs to be. Yeah, I think it's like there's some sometimes if you feel like you're under the cosh a bit, it can make sense to me that kind of change, but not when you're finally on top in the game, controlling it. I've scored a couple of times um, and sort of looking more likely to run away with the game. Um, it is funny I'll come back to this because I'm, I'm bitter like that. Or not bitter is not the right word, petty. A um, couple of seasons ago when ultimately on the final day, Kelly pipped Aberdeen to third place. And part of that, that was on goal difference. And it's probably days like this that lead to Aberdeen not having a very good goal difference because you, you're you 2-0 up. You could probably go on and win that game 4 or 5 now. And instead, yeah, they, they won. And and then I think it's weird because we're now talking about this as if they've like lost 4-0, as, yeah. as was the case on Thursday night. But they, they have actually won two it's, games. That's the thing is, I think, um, you know, if you took a straw poll of Aberdeen fans, it'd probably be quite uh, negative about the start of their season for a number of reasons, both on and off the pitch. But if you actually look at it, they've had a decent start to the season against potentially tricky opposition. Um, so... On the other hand, you do think, well, you know, do they really have a right to complain? Ultimately, you, you know, football is the results business, but it's it's the same criticisms about the same uh, problems coming up time and again. And I can totally understand why. You know, if I was an Aberdeen fan, I would probably be getting quite annoyed at people on the outside saying, "But you've got nothing to complain about," because it's only when you follow a team week after week and see the same mediocrity in terms of decisions being made uh, that you really understand where the frustration comes from. Um, so I can totally get it from Aberdeen fans, but I am still going to lazily lean on the what have you got to complain about fence because I can. Yeah, I think it's interesting in terms of like the um, Aberdeen team. There is, a, there is a start of a move towards it being a bit of a younger team. Like McCrory was brought in mm. as a younger player. Um, I'm now forgetting. I checked. I, I looked at the team and I was like, actually, there's a few younger guys in there. Ferguson, Wright. Yeah. Um, now, now I'm drawing a blank as well because I was like, there was like five players in that team, and I was like, um, let me let me bring it up because I'm stupid like that. Wait, while you're bringing it up, I'm, I'd probably like to give Scott Wright a mention because I think that he is a player who I think I've I don't think I've said it on a show, but I think I've said it to other people that. He does remind me a little bit of Craig White and who would be my mastermind specialist subject. Um, but the, the reason it's actually relevant is that I think they're both young players who, they're not quite strikers, they're not quite wingers, they're not quite number 10s, they're just they're somewhere in the middle, a, a mythical number, 10.5 perhaps, or 9.5 either. Or, um, But I think my prescription for Craig White was that he needs a run of games in a team to build the confidence and just let him play and not just immediately weak him out when you know things don't quite go right. And, well, I think it has gone right for Scott Wright. Um, right. You know, that little bit of interplay between him and Hedges for the second goal was fantastic. It's not maybe something to replicate every week, but I think that you know there is maybe a chance for him, but it would require patience and uh, other parts it. of the team. No, we'll get to that. That's been, and, and it's hard because the, the better the team is, the less patience you're going to get with a young player because Aberdeen are looking to win every game, so they can't 
you know, if a player's not performing, they may not be not be willing to give them the time. We've seen that with other young players um, in the past, like Bruce Anderson um, being, being an example, Dean Campbell. These are two players that I don't have a lot of time for. No. I think that um, Aberdeen fans are desperate to have a young player coming into the team, which you can imagine. And I think they're, they're clinging their hopes on to those two. And right, I'm not convinced any of the three of them are Aberdeen players, but I think... Wright is the one that's got the best chance just in terms of the he, talent he has, as you say. Yeah, but as whether he can pin that down. Yeah, and although it's uh, maybe not the most glowing reference, he was one of the better players in the Dundee side that went that's down. But I realised that I could have been getting selected every week and probably be described as such. So not exactly yeah. glowing praise. Um, um, I the, other, sorry, the other two players that um, I was thinking of were just McKenna and Kennedy, are both younger players. So there's a bit more freshness coming to that Aberdeen team. Yeah. I was looking at it and thinking... You're no longer seeing like like there was a while where the Aberdeen team was just like the same names for years and years, and there is a bit of variety to that. And you can maybe see this as being McInnes's third Aberdeen team in the making. Whether he lives lives, uh, lives I hope he lives long enough. Whether he lasts long enough as manager <laughs> to to see that through, um, I'm not convinced because I, I I get the feeling there's a growing tension with Cormac, but I could be talking out my ass on that. Yeah. And I think the other thing is that he just has to to trust in the players a little bit more and just give them that opportunity to to really express themselves. I think he's second-guessing it a little bit too much or has that little bit of hesitation, so he just needs to uh, get rid of it. that. But I'm aware that we've spoken for something yeah. about Aberdeen and not really about Livingston. Yeah, so, so looking at Levy, I would, I would say it continues a kind of concerning start in the sense that they had a they had a half of the game where they were on top and they couldn't do anything with it. Like they didn't create a lot of chances. Um they yeah, they were the better team, but it wasn't like they were knocking the door down and, and you know, threatening a lot. So what did we see? I mean, obviously Dykes is a big loss from last season. They've brought in Stokes and they've brought in the Lokosh or whatever we were going to call them. And they've got Poplatnik as well. Poplatnik as well. It feels like none of them are, well, I mean, clearly none of them are going to replace Dykes, but do you think, what do you see coming for them now? Do you think they'll turn this round or? I think this is going to be quite a long season for Livingston. Uh, and I think one of the reasons for that is that they are, in replacing Dykes, it will take some time for, even if, say if Stokes does come in and um, immediately looks a little bit dangerous and like he's uh, going to be a useful addition, you've still, you're still basically having to start building that team understanding in, what's this, what, game week six, essentially, it's after five games of the season. And I think that there's... For Livingston, they had to do a little bit of a squad rebuild over the summer, and I feel like they're still working that out. They're now having to work out what to do up top as well, and it just feels like there's too many moving parts for them. And I think the other thing is, um, it seems ludicrous to say it after there's only been, for most teams, uh, five games played, but they're already pretty close to the bottom. You're already looking at teams like you know St Mirren and Ross County, who some people might have said would be uh, fellow relegation candidates. They could still be, but they've made decent starts of the season. And that's already, I think it's an eight-point gap between Livingston and St Mirren now. Um, or maybe that's Ross County. But anyway, it's a substantial gap. And you've got to see, you've got to start thinking about where can Livingston actually make up the ground. They obviously did a terrific job of stodgily uh, denying Rangers uh, at the Tony Macaroni the other week, but 
it's it's a pointless thing to say, but they only play half their games at home, and if you don't have the fans there, then that can affect it as well. And we saw last season that so much of uh, Livingston's great season was based on that home form. Um, so it might not be games at Pataudry that define their season, but I think there has to be some alarm bells ringing for the fans. Yeah, and the the thing for me is like the signings, unlike previous years where players have just came in, new signings have come in and just seem to settle straight in and you think, all right, like I think Marvin Bartley was doing well from the moment he arrived there. Um, similarly with, with the defenders they signed last year, Guthrie in particular. That's not been the case for Fitzwater. It's not even been the case for someone like Ambrose, who we assumed would, would do well. And, and this is the other thing, is that if you look at, I think Ambrose came off the bench yesterday and for a player of his experience and calibre to not be starting strikes yes. me as a little bit odd, odd even. Um, Holt, I thought, was pretty anonymous yesterday yes, in- as well. And he's another one who you would anticipate being, a, or who you would expect to be quite a central part of that team. Um, so you've got uh, Holt being fairly anonymous, Ambrose only coming off the bench. You've then got... Uh, I think Marvin Bartley it looks as if he could have maybe done a little bit better particularly for the second goal he seemed to stop prematurely Um, and then if Stokes for example I mean everybody's half anticipating that he's going to be a useful player for Livy but if he's not match fit and he takes two or three weeks to get up to speed okay we do have an international break coming up but if it takes him until mid-September to get up to speed and then it doesn't quite work for him that's quite a lot of what I imagine is the Levy wage structure based on players who are either not performing as they should or not getting the chance to perform for whatever reason. And that, for me, is a bit of a red flag. Yes. So, that, that yeah, I think it's early days, but I I was quite confident on them going into the season because it looked like they'd done some, some good work and all that. But the more that we, we move into the season and the more I see them, I am less certain, I would say. Um, so it'll be interesting to kind of see how they go. Um, they've defied us in at least a couple of occasions before, so so who's to say they won't do it again? Um, talking of defying us, um, that's a terrible link, but we were defied um, of having a good game of football on Sunday yet again. I know that you had to sit on Thursday night and talk about a terrible televised game. Um, I am, we have to do it again. I am going to plead with Craig Fowler that I do not become the regular St. Johnson correspondent because I can't take much more two games in a row for McDermott has not been a good use of my time this week but no um, yeah, Pip's getting a, a very late winner um, which some St. Johnson fans bizarrely seem to be contesting um, I mean this is I don't want I don't want to just talk about the refereeing decisions but there are clearly there's not um, much else to talk about Gary <laughs> no, that's the thing so we might as well um, I think on the ones that we agree on, um, obviously Dodge handballed. Um, yes, it, it was clearly handball for when he put. Uh, it's one of those that probably under the old rules, you may have said wasn't a pen, wasn't a foul because he yeah. didn't mean it. It wasn't deliberate, but because now it's any handball that leads to a goal, it doesn't yeah. matter if he means it. I don't agree with that rule, but that is the rule. So yeah, it's a foul. So that one was disallowed. Um, I think I think he was just offside for the other uh, hips disallowed goal. It was it was it was only a good six or seven yards. It was right before the the Levy one. Uh, sorry, oh yeah, yeah. One, Sorry, the, the, the Sky Sports went to the effort of freeze framing it. Um, it was it was genuinely yeah. Uh, 
a good seven yeah. or eight yards offside. It was the most obvious. Uh, it was it was Boyle, I think, was the most obvious uh, offside of all time. Yeah. But more contentiously, clearly, it was the um, disallowed St Johnston goal. Yep, and I know that. Um, I think you had an issue with the angle and the particular moment that it's it's frozen. I, but for me, even I, if I'll let you. I was going to say, uh, I think they froze it a little bit too early because see when they rolled the footage on then you saw the um, I was trying to think who was crossing it I, I think it was Conway even though it was on the right but whoever was crossing it um, after they ran they, they spun the tape forward you then saw his legs kind of swinging and clipping the ball I still suspect he was onside and I think it, it was probably a poor call yeah and the thing that confused me a little bit is that usually so for example we didn't talk about the the penalty in the Aberdeen Livingston game and you saw when that was called the Livy players just sort of some of them put their head on their hands some of them yeah. just turned away in disgust and that is the uh, you know worldwide sign of we know that that's a penalty that's been given um, in this case Hendry put the ball in the net and when it was flagged for offside there weren't any great protestations about it so I was really surprised when they then went to the freeze frame of it uh, because my initial look because obviously you're not really looking at when the ball is played you're looking yeah. in the box as a spectator and my initial take was oh he must be offside yeah. um, and I know that there's always going to be that split second where the linesman maybe looks from when the ball is kicked to it being played in but yeah for me that was still a pretty poor call yeah, uh, and I mean, obviously one which you could argue, but well, I say could argue, you can definitely argue, uh, change the course of the game because then Hibs would have had to have tried to come back from 1 0 down. Yeah, and, and they weren't was, really doing too much at that point. No, Hib, I think Hibs had a wee spell um, in the first half where they looked like they were kind of getting a wee bit of flow together. It was just before that disallowed goal, actually. And then the whole of the second half, they didn't do a lot. They, I was. I haven't been hugely impressed with them so far this season, and yet they're they're equal top of the league, and you can't argue with that. I feel like I saw Paul McGinn's face every thirty seconds because yeah. it seemed like every time he was taking a throw, and for some reason they went close in on his face. Yeah. Um, in between Andy Walker touting him for Scotland, which was yeah. Well, yeah, I think um, I think John, John McGinn, being his brother, probably <laughs> suggested him. But uh, yeah, I would be worried if Paul McGinn starts to get a Scotland call up. Um, he's, he's done He's done better than I thought for Hibs, yeah. right enough. Um, um, I, I mean, what I will say about St Johnson is I feel like they were, I think on Thursday's show, or on the Patreon to be more precise, but further I was saying that my issue with it was that they were playing a back three, but then, well, they were playing a 3-4-3, three, three, but they weren't really pushing Tanzer and McNamara up to sort of overlap and interplay with uh, Wotherspoon and Conway and I think they did that a little bit better this time around uh, and you can see that McNamara is a fantastic outlet for them on the right but there still seems to be something that isn't quite clicking I think part of it is that uh, for whatever reason Callum Hendry's finishing and decision making in the final third continues to be rubbish uh, for want of a better word it seems like every time he gets the ball there's a point where the, the blinkers come on and he's just running with the ball into the penalty box he doesn't know what to do with it he doesn't think to get his head up and just play someone else in or take the early shot yeah, that, that's the thing with me with Callum Hendry I really like him but he's still very raw and I always then makes me think in my head that he's like going to be like 18 or something but he's like 23 or something like that he's yeah. not as young as you think he is he's maybe not 23 but he should have he should have a bit more to his game by now than than that would suggest um, so let me check here. December 97 so he's 23 in December um, 
But so yeah, he he's got he is a very much a raw player, like even even now. Yeah. Um and that that's the concern I have with him. But I think they did look a better team when May came on the park, so I think that might be something to, to look at going forward. Yeah, I think if they're able to pair Hendry and May, that'd be really interesting to see that and I think that, that could um make their games a little bit more exciting than this one was. And it's not for the want of trying. It's St. Johnson, to me, are similar to Aberdeen in that when I look at the individual components of the team and the way it's set up, I'm anticipating a bit more than you actually get from them. Um, and I don't know if that's just down to, you know, we've seen in pretty much all the teams at the start of the season that there is that caginess uh, to proceedings at the moment. Um it feels like people are still finding their feet again after a prolonged break and maybe St. Johnson will come good and it'll be similar to last season when they started pretty poorly uh, and then really pulled it together in about, I think it was November time. Um, I, think, I think the thing for me is like there's a lot of endeavour in their performances and they do look like, like you watch them and you think right, they know what they're supposed to be doing here. It's not like they're badly coached. It's yeah. just that I'm not sure the tactics really are working out. Like the, the, the two in the midfield in the middle of the park get overrun a bit. I think the three centre halves all played very well, um, as as the generally they are good defenders. Up, up to a point. Well, yeah. The final point. The final, <laughs> the very final one. But you you can you can understand these type of mistakes, um, you know, giving away fouls like that because you do want to get tight to your player, and sometimes you just over overstep the mark without almost noticing it. Yeah. But. So I think there's not. I, I've not been impressed with them in terms of performance levels. Um, as I said last week, I thought they were. Well, they went. I don't think they would have got anything against Kelly, but for the red card, um, they were poor. They were they were probably better than Aberdeen the other night, but they were still poor. And and I think they were poor again yesterday. But there is a sense of you. You kind of can see what Davidson's trying to do. Um, I just whether what he's trying to do is actually the right thing to do. It's like it's like if I sent a team out to play like a. Five zero five, and they might all stick to the rules very well. It doesn't mean that they're not going to get beat ten 0 every week. I don't know. It's like there is there is that because it's a, it's an unusual kind of three four three that I'm not sure if the players are right for it. And so there is that aspect of it. We, Perhaps it's it's very much that weird balance of you don't know if they are as good or bad that they're winning while they're playing badly. Like are they going to start playing well? It's like, are they going to start playing well and winning even bigger? Or are they going to keep playing how they're playing and start not winning? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Um, I think losing this bit to injury as well, I'm not sure how long he's out for. Ever see hamstring get a bit worried that it's going to be some time. Um, so obviously him being out meant there was a little bit of a rejig for them. Um, the- and I mean, I'm convinced that him and Dodge can play together anyway. Yeah. I'm not sure they're complementary of each other, um, but again, to one or the other might end up being better. It's hard to tell. Yep, yeah. I think with Hibs, it's as you say, it's difficult to know if this is just a particular hot streak they're on, where everything's going their way despite maybe not fully deserving things to go their way, um, or if it is a case of um, that sort of classic, uh, almost Aberdeen. Aberdeen-esque status of they're not playing well but they always grind out the results week yeah. after week um, for me a player that I'm not particularly impressed with is Joe Newell I think that Duncan and Tony are quite big fans of him um, but I don't quite similar to uh, Funzo Ojo at Aberdeen um, I, I don't quite see 
what it is. Yeah, you know? I think I think he's one of those that he's quite neat and tidy. But yeah, I know I, I know what you're getting at. The player for me is always Daryl Horgan, who is someone I don't rate, who should have cost him a goal yesterday yes. and didn't. Um, and, and I'm surprised that he's still there, to be honest, because he'll be on quite a big wage and I'm surprised they've not shipped him out because they have better players in the same position who are um, consistently putting up numbers while he doesn't do much. But it feels harsh to be too critical of them because they, they did win a game again. Um, on, on the penalty then, should we, should we talk through it? I mean, do you think, do you see, do you see a point where St Johnston fans are coming from when they think it's a bit harsh, the penalty? Uh, yes and no. Um, it's and it can be encapsulated in this sentence. If that penalty was given against my own team, I would probably have the same comments yeah. to be making. But that does not necessarily mean that those comments are fair. I think it's a totally unnecessary challenge to be making. And you know, if I simply describe the situation as you know, a player is pushed over by in the box by a player from the defending team. Yeah, when a cross is coming in, nine times out of ten, football fans would say, "Yeah, that's that's a penalty." And I, I understand that you know there was a bit of jostling. You know, was, I think there's three hips players um, around. Uh, so I think it was Hamlin that was fouled. Um, I can't remember who the other two were. Maybe Halberg and Boyle, maybe. But anyway, it doesn't matter who it was. But there's quite a lot of players. You know, three hips players there and one St Johnson player. But he didn't need to make that challenge and you know they're facing away from goal you know why do it in the first place yes yeah, that, that was it for me the, especially the, yeah, the, the, they just cleared the danger from that original chance and then it wasn't a brilliant ball back in I don't think it's the type of ball a team's going to score from so just no. you know don't, don't put yourself in the position of giving a penalty away as I say I think he played well up to there um, Gordon and yeah it was just I would say it'd be a frustrating mistake and, and it was it was interesting. I think I think Craig Fowler made the point that he didn't look particularly annoyed that the penalty had been given because I think he knew he'd, he'd made an error. Yeah. But it's, Liam Craig was it'll, furious. But... Yeah, yeah, Liam Craig always furious though. He's just, <laughs> just an angry man. But um, yeah, that, that was... That's costly for them as well because they're, they're short of midfielders. You know, talking about that too in the midfield and the work they have to do. Yeah. I think I think they they're down to one fit midfielder at the moment, so it'll be interesting to see how they they broach that subject. And the other thing is that, and you can't really—it's totally unreasonable of me to expect uh, any defender to take this into account in the final minute of a game. But from my experience, John Beaton is one of the more decisive referees in Scottish football, uh, and that can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing. But I think there's probably some referees who would have to be very convinced that a foul had taken place in order to award a penalty. He's not one of them. Uh, He's the sort of one that, you know, he will make up his mind in an instant and just point to the spot or not point to the spot. Um, And yeah, that was always going to happen. And then that then makes me think, why is Liam Craig arguing with him? Because this is not quote to end. No, it's not going to go well. Exactly. Um, so I think that'll that'll do us for for today's podcast. So thanks very much, uh, Gary, for for joining me. Um, thanks to uh, Graham and Joel for joining me earlier, and all of you for listening. Um, I guess it's probably going to be a long one. I've not looked at how how long it'll all be when I put it together, but 
probably quite long. It's the one. It's the one downside of like doing it in three chunks. You kind of lose track of time a bit. But thanks for uh, thanks for listening. Um, I'll give you something to do when there's not much else to do anyway. And uh, enjoy your all the European games that are coming up this week. And get in touch with his uh, Terrace podcast on Twitter. Um, slide into our DMs if you want. And uh, yeah, just get in touch whatever way you want. All right. Cheerio. Bye. Cheerio. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.